0: You're listening to the Table Church podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California, that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in a new sermon series, if you can't tell, about failure. Uh... i love the imagery of the plane i mean we see the wright brothers in the middle there with that long quote from c.s lewis and then i mean from 60 years i mean just in a time span of 60 years from them doing their 15 second flight to 60 years later being in space and on the moon there was so much progress that happened in aeronautics over the course of that half a century uh all through as you saw many 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 failures and so that's what we're going to be talking about in this sermon series, at least for the next seven weeks, looking at stories of biblical failures and seeing how we can use that for our own journeys. If you have any questions or comments at any time, please do your, feel free to send them. The number going to be here at all times. I'll do my best to see if I can see them as they come in and uh, we can get those answered. And we'll take a time at the end if you want. And if there's none, uh, we'll wrap it up and pray. We hate to fail is how I want to start this. We avoid it. We don't want to be a part of it. There's something about it that we spend a lot of energy trying to navigate around. Uh, This is a professor, Taya Cohen from Carnegie Mellon. She's like a, she's the president of uh, Conflict Resolution International Society or something. And I was like, I bet she's very good at arguing. But, She's a a big professor in the world of organizational business kind of stuff, and she talks about failure. She says, at the root of failure and the fear of failure is shame, which is a very unpleasant emotion associated with feeling like one is a bad person or has a flawed or defective self. We avoid it. We don't like it because it brings up feelings of shame, which speak negatively about who we are and our identity and the actions and abilities that we have. But failure is one of God's greatest tools for healing, for progress, for forward movement, not only in our own spiritual journeys, but in all of life. And so we have this allergic reaction to failure, and so many times it's the very thing that God uses to help us grow. So we're going to look at biblical failures for our own walk for Jesus. We're going to go through some stories of people who failed, and today we're going to start with Isaiah 6. I mentioned this story a few weeks ago in the sermon on holiness, and I've just been chewing on it ever since. And I saw a couple failures in this story, and so I wanted to start here. But before we dive into the story, let's talk about the context, because this is Old Testament, it's a long time ago. And we always start with the bad news, which is one of Isaiah's failures. Here's the context Israel had just had a king who lasted for about 52 years, there was stability. King Uzziah was one of the best kings in Israel. There was a couple times he messed up. He also had some of his own failures. He took it upon himself to do some priestly actions. God gave him leprosy. You know how it goes. But besides that, as a political ruler, very good. And always, things expanded. He was good at negotiations and trade. Isaiah the prophet loved his king Uzziah. But King Uzziah is dead in this story. And the Assyrian army is bearing down on the tiny nation of Israel, not even whole Israel. Israel splits in half. There becomes the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom's gone. Syria wiped them out. We still don't know what happened up there. (laughs) Judah stayed intact. Assyrian Empire is bearing down on this tiny little nation. If you can see the map, the green is Assyria and the yellow is baby little Judah. It's all around them. Why would big empire Assyria care at all about little baby nation Judah? Because they're right in the middle between them and Egypt. One of their enemies, but also oftentimes in times of peace, one of their greatest trade partners. So there's this one nation in between the great empire of Assyria and Egypt and Judah's smack dab in the middle. Isaiah is worried, to say the least. His 50-year reigning monarch, King Uzziah, is dead, and Assyria is angry. And there's a new king, and he doesn't know what to do. He just wishes his old king was still alive, which is his first failure. I want to tell you that his hope was in all the wrong places. He thought if we could just have the perfect political leader in place, that we could figure out the situation with Assyria, and he's doing the politics instead of the praying, and God has a word for Isaiah about his failure of hope, which I think we can res- resonate with. I think so. I have a failure of hope sometimes. Let me tell you, I've been a heavy kid since I've been born. My mom will tell you that I couldn't even sit up straight. (laughs) Just kind of slouched down in the couch, which is the best way to sit in the couch. Chiropractors can just figure that out. (laughs) But 2016, I had hope. I was going to figure out my health journey with a bike. Let me tell you, A lack of a bike was not my problem. (laughs) The presence of a bike did not fix my situation. I had a lot of hope in 2016 when that bike arrived. And I put it together. And I rode that thing probably at least half a dozen times. (laughs) Now it wastes away in the sun. Misplaced hope. That's a funny example, but we do it in all kinds of ways, in our comfort, in our wealth, in our cars, in our houses, in our political leaders, in our bank accounts, in our jobs, in our spouses, in our families. There's ways in which we put our hope in these things to keep us safe, which is a less fancy word for salvation. J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote, you know, the stuff, Lord of the Rings. False hopes are more dangerous than fears. That's what he says. Your fears aren't as dangerous as putting your hope in the wrong thing, he tells us. The thing that you're afraid of that causes you to put your hope into something isn't as scary as actually putting your hope in the wrong place. And I know that's true, and that's one of the lessons that Isaiah teaches us in his failure. But the question that you can sit with in the bad news is, what entices you for your hope what is it? It's usually one of the P's, right? People or possessions or politics or something like that. You can figure it out. I don't have time to, no, that sounded that's flippant. I don't have time to figure it out for you. You can figure it out. No, I'll let the Holy Spirit do that work for you. But here's the story, the good news from Isaiah uh, of, how, of uh, how his life uh, changes, and it goes like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's how he wants to start this. That's the context. This thing that's about to happen is happening in that context. In space and time, something's going to happen to him, and it's that year that his beloved king died. I saw the Lord sitting high and exalted. I saw, what is it? I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne. The edges of his robe filling the temple and winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. With two, they veiled their faces, and with two, their feet, and with two, they flew about. These winged creatures are called seraphim. Uh, it's the only time they're mentioned in Scripture. That word is usually used for snakes. So some people think that maybe it's a descriptive word, and these are like snake dragons flying around with, with wings, which would be the death of me. I'm not a snake guy. I'm Indiana Jones here. Like, why'd I got to be snake? no. But the word that comes from snake, it has to do with fire. And so maybe these are fiery beings flying around. They cover their face because one does not gaze upon the full presence of God lightly. And they cover themselves. Their feet is usually a euphemism for their genitals in, in the Old Testament. They covered themselves because one does not get gazed upon so vulnerably in the presence of God. No description except that they're all wings and all voice. Because it says they shouted to each other, Holy, Holy, Holy. This is called the, if you want to know the fancy seminary word, this is called the trisagion, which means thrice holy. When Jews wanted to say something, we have holy, holier, holiest. These are comparative and superlative if you want to know the fancy English words. They didn't do holier and holiest. When they wanted to say something was the holiest, they said it three times. We have other examples of this. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 14, the kings are running and they fall into a pit, a tar pit. It doesn't say they fell into the tariest, pittiest of pits. It says they fell into the tar pit, tar pit. It's a a pit. Yeah, there's a... Holy, 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 the holiest one, right? Is the Lord of the heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. At their shouting, the doorframe shook. And the house was filled with smoke. Maybe they're fiery beings. Maybe because you just are not supposed to see the full presence of God. Isaiah said, mourn for me. I'm a ruined man, right? I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heavenly forces. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he had touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. Finally, the Lord speaks. And the Lord says, Whom should I send? Who will go for us? Maybe Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, right here in the middle of Isaiah. And Isaiah volunteers, I'm here, send me. You know how we preach here? Head, heart, hands, something for us to know, something for us to feel or experience, and something for us to do. And the questions I always ask is, what does God want us to know after reading that passage? And one of the things I'm using, the things that Isaiah saw, partly because we're in Epiphany, and Epiphany is about seeing afresh, but also there was so much see language. So what does God want us to know about the things that Isaiah saw? And I think this is the thing, at least that's speaking to me this week, is the bigger our picture of God, the better our perspective on life. The bigger our picture of God, the better our perspective on life on problems, on failure. What did Isaiah see? In the year of the king's death, he saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne. I lo- this, he, the king that he thought was the good king for their country is dead and he's concerned and God revealed to him a, a different king, God self, the true king. He saw a holy God, right? holy, holy. Holy. He saw a big God. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. It's not even that that God filled the whole temple that he was in. It was the train of God's robe filled the whole temple of where he was. Isaiah saw a big, holy, royal God. That's who Isaiah saw. And that bigness of God put his life into perspective. I've talked about this before because it's so fascinating for me and probably because I made that video with the lo- rocket launching, but I've been thinking about it. There's a thing called the overview effect. Christmas Eve, Apollo 11, they're going to orbit the moon. No one had ever done that. It was wild. They went to explore the moon. They wanted to beat the Russians there. I'm not super patriotic, but if we can beat some Russians somewhere, I'm happy to do it. You know what I mean? Like, You guys want to race? Let's go. They went to orbit the moon. They wanted to be the first ones. They orbit the moon, and coming around, they turn the camera around, live national TV. They show the Earth the first time anyone had ever seen it from this perspective as a, as a video slash picture. And it took people's breath away. The, the astronaut said, we went to discover the moon, and what we discovered, was more importantly, was the Earth. Astronauts talk about this thing called the overview effect, that when they're able to see the whole thing, the bigness of space, the littleness of the earth, it changes them. And it changes like their thoughts about politics and geopolitical issues, but it changes their spiritual lives. Some of these astronauts came back and became ministers. Uh, this is James Irwin. He said, I went to church when I was a kid. We stopped when I was 10. Never thought about going back ever Again. I'm walking on the moon, and I had an experience. Gave his heart to Jesus, became a Christian for the rest of his life. He's like, yeah, his line is like, yeah, I walked on the moon, but now I walk with the sun. And I'm like, James, that's a little cheesy, but I like where you're going. He said, it changes you. There's something about the bigness of it that changes your perspective about everything. This is what's going on with Isaiah. Isaiah saw the bigness of the king and it changed his whole political picture. So that way going on, going forth in his book that he ends up writing and preaching, he's mostly talking about the king when he's mostly talking about God and not trying to find the right political ruler to help navigate the situation. The bigger our picture of God, the better our perspective on problems and failures will be. Feel that? Amen? What does God want us to feel in this story? What does Isaiah feel in this story? After he sees the bigness of God and after he hears the loudness of these dragon beings singing, holy, 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 in, the, in seeing the, a holy God, he sees his whole self. And I'm not going to beat us up too much, but he beats himself up pretty good right? They shouted, holy, 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 the whole earth, door doorframe shook, and he said, uh, he becomes keenly aware of who he is, of his own failures, sinfulness, brokenness, rebelliousness. I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people with unclean lips, because I've seen the king. Seeing that holy God made him recognize his own Failings. What's going on with this lips? We don't really know. Our best guess is, I mean, he could be talking about he's he's been lying, gossiping, slandering, those kinds of things. But our best guess is he's saying that the words we say and worship don't match the lives we live by our actions. Also, Jesus tells us, right, that the words come from the overflow of our hearts. And so he's saying. The, the lips, my lips betray the condition of my own heart. And not only that, I'm supposed to be a political leader. I'm supposed to be a leader for Yahweh and Israel. And my people are failing and I'm not helping them. I'm actually hurting them. I'm contributing to the problem. I'm not helping the problem. But there's something not matching with our life. What we say about who God is because I'll be honest with you, here's some more of that context. There was a lot of doubt in Israel at the time. Our God is the God, the holy, holy, holiest God. So why is that Assyrian empire so big and so bad? Are there idols really stronger than our God? Are we really God's people? If there's nations that could wipe us out, the flick of a finger? And so this is part of the vision that these angels say yes this is the holiest one and I know you say all the right things but your lives don't reflect it that fear, that misplaced hope failure what Isaiah shows us is that the light of God reveals all of us all those parts that you tried to tuck away or hide or take that selfie like this I could see your bathroom floor. That's me, actually. You can see my bathroom floor because I'm like trying to get that neck, that double neck out of the picture. You know what I mean? Like God sees all of it in the light of His holiness. And the only thing Isaiah could do is confess his own failure. I've told this story before, too. My very first ever church trip. I mean, I just started going to church maybe a month before this. And they're like, hey, we're going to Fort Bragg. And I was like, I've never been anywhere. Let's go. And we went to Fort Bragg and we were having, and I didn't, I don't know anything. I don't know culture. I don't know. And my family, there's no boundaries. I could do whatever you want, what I want, whenever I want. You get it. So one of our first nights there, we sneak out of camp. We go get some girls, we go get some guys, we sneak out of camp, we go to this bridge, we throw a little dance party, we didn't have phones or we just were just dancing, you know. There was no music. We just were just making our own music and dancing in the middle of the night. This is not close to campsites. And I just remember eyes closed, dancing, and then I remember seeing an adult come, get down. There's a way, <laughs> when you're in the middle of your own rebelliousness and sinfulness, you're like, well, this is fine. But there's a way, and when you see it from a different perspective, light, even in that darkness, gets shined on it. The, and there was so much shame. So much shame that we're walking back in total silence, and then I'm trying to break the tension because I feel all of it. And I'm like, did you guys hear about that Giants player who can't play because his pinky hurts? I was like, that guy's, that guy's lame. And the leader goes, silence. (laughs) I was like, mourn for me. I am a man of unclean lips. (laughs) I didn't even know scripture. It was just prophetically coming out of me. (laughs) Then we get back to camp, and he goes, we'll talk in the morning. And we all, I mean, we were loud every night, but that night we were dead silent. And then we learn that the girls said, we're so sorry, we'll never do it again. They got to stay up and play Uno, and I was very bitter about that. There's a way in which, when you're in the middle of your thing, you don't recognize the, the awfulness of it, the failing of it. But when you get a different perspective, the light shines on it, and how much more so for the one whose glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah can't do anything but be keenly aware of his own failures and brokenness. When we see ourselves in the light, we see our brokenness, our shame, our sin, and our failure. But God does not leave us there. Not Isaiah, not us. One of the angels, one of these fiery dragon beasts fly over and touch his mouth with one of the coals from the altar. When we talked about this in the holiness sermon, what we talked about was everyone assumed that our sinfulness made us, made God dangerous for us because His holiness was so powerful. But what we see in this passage is that God's holiness doesn't kill Isaiah. It transforms him. It heals him. God does not leave us in our sins or our guilt. And notice, there's no begging on Isaiah's part. There's no pleading. There's no bargaining. Please, God, if you let me live, I'll change. None of that. Just a confession to himself about his own brokenness and God healing him. New Testament tells us the same thing. 1 John chapter 1. God is light. This is a declaration of God's holiness. If we claim that we we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves. Failure. But if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. In God's holiness, we see our whole selves, but God doesn't leave us there, but has healing for us. Amen? What does God want us to do? What does God want us to do with this passage? What does Isaiah do? What is the doing part, the hands part of this? What Isaiah teaches us and wants us to do is this process, which we're going to go through, helps us find our purpose. This process helped us find our purpose. He saw a big God. He saw his whole self. And at the end of that, he ends up seeing his purpose. Seraphim says, your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. And then I heard the Lord's voice saying, first time God speaks, who should I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah throws himself at the opportunity again first time God speaks there's no coercion there's no obligation there's a James Lackey in here no pressure zero absolute zero pressure God's not even talking to Isaiah God's talking to the Godhead maybe the dragons you're, gonna t- you're like, this passage was about dragons. I don't know if they're dragons. I just, in my mind, they're dragons. God's not even talking to Isaiah. There's no coercion. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. He's saying, we need someone to go. And Isaiah's gratitude, right, out of Isaiah's gratitude that God will deal so mercifully and powerfully with him, causes him to leap at the opportunity to serve, to just do it. Uh, Many of you know, I grew up on a broken home. This is a Christmas ornament to me. One of the few that I have of me, a picture of me when I was a kid. It means a lot to me. There's a lot of trauma in my history, a lot of brokenness, and a lot of that caused me to be the type of person who wants to help and serve so that I can get you to like me. I want you to like me and be my friend. So I'll just, I'll be super helpful. That's my thing. As helpful as possible but the journey I've been on with Jesus is that helpfulness isn't bad my motivation was the way that I used it as a as a a misplaced hope so I get to be helpful again but I get to do it at the end of that process of healing not to try to get healing or to get accolade or to get love and attention right The order of that process is helpful so, like, for example, we didn't have a lot of food, and, and school was a safe place for me because I got two hot meals that were, were del- delicious. I don't know what everyone was complaining about. When you're hungry, you're like, I'll take some Salisbury steak as an eight-year-old. I, my daughter is nine. She's like, Dad, they had Salisbury steak. It was delicious. I'm like, good for you. Like liver and onions up in there. I loved it. I ate everything. But also there were beautiful adults who cared deeply about us, who wanted nothing but success for us. And now, out of gratitude for that experience in my life, I get to serve the school district. Not to try to get accolade, not to try to get God to notice me or the community to but because out of a response of gratitude for what has been such a transformative experience for my life. Does that make sense? This process is important. Some of us are willing to serve from a sense of shame or earning, right? We're not good enough, but maybe if we can do enough, God will not think so badly about us or, or God's gift of love and grace can't be that easy and so we got to do the stuff to get the stuff. But Isaiah teaches us an order that is important, This is John Oswald. He's a professor of Old Testament at Asbury Seminary. His words are too big, but he talks about this process. He says, the sequential relationship of the elements ought not to be overlooked, which is a fancy way of saying the order is important. The sequence is important. Each element leads to the next. The king Uzziah's death prepares the way for the vision of God as king over all the earth. The vision of God leads to self-despair. Isaiah sees himself in full light. Self-despair opens the door to cleansing. Cleansing makes it possible to recognize the possibility of service. The total experience then leads to an offering of one's self. This process is important. Isaiah teaches us something wildly important about who God is in the midst of our own failure. That oftentimes our own failure, by misplacing our hope in the king... Right, And when those hopes get dashed, help us to see God in a new way. But then in seeing God in a new way, we recognize our own brokenness and failings. But at the end of that comes cleansing and an opportunity to join the mission. God invites us to reimagine our hope, to have a real experience of Jesus, to be people who are honest about our own selves and failures, and to receive the grace and mercy and healing that God so freely gives and then find our purpose and our place in the Spirit's work and story. Feel good? Amen? All hearts clear? If you got any questions, send them now. And if you don't, I did get a question. We will uh, move on. Two of them. One was a, from a person who rebelled with me and went out to Fort Bragg, the beach. And she said... She. See, my motive was to be rebellious and have fun and she was like, she was more innocent. She said, "I just wanted to see the sunset." And I I believe it. I believe it. I believe it and I receive it. The dragons could explain why the room was so smoky. Exactly. It's all coming together. Again, that that serpent word also has the connotation of fire because a serpent's bite in their concept was fire-like. So it could just be that they were fiery beings, but it could be that they were these dragon fire breathers. Great job. Let's wrap this up and then pray. If you have any more questions, send them. I'll do my best to try to answer them throughout the week. But here's what we talked about today. With our head, we said that the bigger our picture of God, the better our perspective on life. And with our heart, What Isaiah teaches us is that in seeing a holy God, we will have an experience to face our whole selves. That having that wonderful encounter of God also brings the terrible dread of God's light that reveals our brokenness, but God does not leave us there. And that process of failure and honesty and confession leads to healing, and at the end of healing, a discovery of purpose of of what God has planned for your life spiritual practice, and then we're praying, I'll give you three of them. One, you can re-imagine, re-examine your hopes. What are the things that you do to try to keep yourself safe that might not be bringing you closer to Jesus? Or who are the people that you put your hope in? Number two, you can tra- say that holy, holy, holy every day, just in the morning when you wake up this week, Not as anything too ritualistic, but just to remind yourself of the bigness of God this week. It comes from Isaiah six three. If you need to look it up all the way. And there's a small group talk about this. Is your spiritual practice process this in your small group this week? And with that, I say, let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this picture, this image, this vision. This picture, this image, this vision that you have given to Isaiah, and then ultimately you have given to us. Would it be comfort for us? Would it be life giving? Would it be convicting? But ultimately, would it reveal to us that process that you have in place where we can have an encounter with you? We can bring our whole selves to you in humility and confession. We can receive healing from you and then join in the grand adventure which is called your kingdom. And Father, we pray that that experience of you can begin right now. You promised to meet us in the cup and the bread and so we pray that as we come forward to receive that you would meet us here and that we would begin an experience of seeing your bigness right now. But also this is a perfect time for us to be introspective and humble about our own failings. And would you lavish us with healing as we do so? Table Church, would you end this prayer with me by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.